look at it, y'all. Mix a lot. I didn't bring a seven string, but I brought these things right here. And this is how I write it with. I don't sock people in the face. And you are watching the Mosh Pit podcast. This motherfucker is the best interviewer on the planet. He got me to tell him it's actually 12 inches long. From the Stereo Sound Record Studios, your home for the best in unsigned and indie punk, rock, and metal. This is The Mosh Pit with your host, Wes Everett.
Concrete Super Gun, Valhalla. Welcome to the Mosh Pit. I am your host, Wes Everett. I am here with my special guest, Mr. Sir Mix-a-Lot. How you yeah. been, man? All's good. Staying busy, man. I'm constantly staying busy. I, I kind of like the quiet money better than the loud money, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Dude, that's awesome. First off, um, I got a fanboy out just a little bit. I think it's awesome having you on the Mosh Pit. You know, I grew up listening to your music and total respect for you, everything you've done. And I just wanted to say that. Oh, right on, man. Appreciate it. It's been, it's been a, a interesting road, man. I mean, all of this, uh, I think about it now and it's like, there's a whole lot of happenstance, you know, that's what I call it. Happenstance. It's just, you're in the right place at the right time. I mean, I was, you know, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. And I just, I'll tell it as you ask it. All right. Sounds good. Um, so, you know, let's start off with God, the album Mac Daddy. I mean, when that one released, that was right around the time grunge was coming out, really hitting hard in the 90s. What was the music scene like in Seattle during that time for both you and what you were growing up with? Well, you know, it's funny. I remember when I did my first album, which was Swass, right? And that was in 1985. I produced it, 86, 85, 86, came out in uh, 87. But uh, one of the guys that mixed a lot of the grunge actually is probably responsible for teaching me how to getting me started, at least on mixing. And that was Terry Date. Um, so Terry Date had, had mixed a lot of people. And I don't know why he did my project, <laughs> I mean, but he did. And he kind of showed me what I was doing wrong in production and, and all that stuff. And so fast forward to 1992, um, the Seattle scene was solid by then. Actually, it wasn't even called grunge to us. It was just rock. You know, yeah. and um, they they gave it the name Grunge, and I think that's what blew it up. So I ended up being in 1992. I ended up at the Grammys, well, 93, at the Grammys with a bunch of the Grunge acts. <laughs> <laughs> I remember a conversation, not backstage, outside. Like some people wanted to boycott it, some of the guys didn't want to. I'm like, "Fuck you! I'm gonna take my award, man." You kiss my ass. <laughs> but now, nah, man, I'm, it was pretty solid, man. The Seattle music scene has always been. Um, I'm not going to compare it to any other music scenes. I'll just say, I just like the way it is. It's like no one upsmanship, you know, people are constantly trying to, you know, I made more money than him. I got, you know, a big nicer car than him. It was none of that. It was strictly about the music. And I think the fact that we were up here in the Northwest corner and mm -hmm. kind of disregarded for so long. I mean, even though Hendrix, you know, where do you think he came from, but they don't really, they just said, I was an anomaly. You know, you got Hendrix, Bruce Lee, little bit of Quincy Jones sometimes, you know, stuff like that. And uh, we just said to hell with that. Let's just make music we like. If it hits, it hits. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. So, I mean, guys like the groups like Pearl Jam, Mud Honey, you know, Nirvana, those guys were not assholes at all. They're just cool as hell, man. Down to earth. They still run up the Broadway and get Dick's Burgers and stuff like that. I mean, it was just, I love that, that, that we stayed grounded. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. I love hearing stories like that because you do hear about the ones that are the assholes, but I like hearing the ones that are like, dude, I could grab a burger with this guy. He was awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I we did a project, uh, the presidents and I, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, Chris Blue is like complete nut, right? And we, we go in the studio, man, and it was the most organic project I ever did. Oh. Never forgot. I never will forget it. It was myself and out of sight. Um, he's the guy that tours with me. And he can rap his ass off. And they liked him. Um, and we just get in the studio. No ideas. 
nothing. We're just in a studio. I think a guy named Martin, Martin Favier. He's another uh, engineer up here and uh, an incredible one. And we get in there and there's nothing. We just start. Like Chris plays something and I'm like, nah, yeah, I like that baseline right there. You know, and then they give me a few things to work with. I come home and I'm adding stuff in my studio, like the drum machine stuff and stuff that, you know, they, they would not waste their time in a studio doing because obviously it's just programming. Yeah. The first song was, um, I believe it was Addicted to the Fame. It was a song we did. And it's a great song. We've done about four versions of it. And it was kind of by that time, by the time we did that record, you know, I had already had my my peak of my success and so had they. So we had a lot to say about the business itself, but that's kind of fast forwarding. But just to show you how long those relationships go, I did some stuff with Mud Honey um, back in the day for, where is it at? The Judgment Night. Uh, so oh, you can't see it anyway. Judgment Night was like, it was all rappers and rockers. Oh, cool. So Ice-T did some stuff and I did some stuff with Mud Honey. It was good stuff. Quality shit. That's awesome, man. And, you know, going on that same line, I want to back up back to Swass with your um, your collaboration on Iron Man yeah. with uh, Metal Church, man. That just, dude, that was so cool. What was it like being in a studio working with those guys? That was intimidating. Dude, it's my first record, right? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know how to record yet. I didn't know, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. And I walk in and these guys are like complete professionals. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> I'm pulling out my lyrics, some balled up line paper. Like, let's see. You can, you can place a mic in my hand. Blah, blah, blah. I'm doing all this shit. And, and um, they're just sitting there and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And finally, we just did a run through. And uh, by the second run through, I'm like, I knew I was in over my head. But I knew I better get this done. You know, I better get this done. And I wasn't, I wasn't anywhere near... Um, as far as rap talent that I am now, right? I'm probably more talented now than at my peak. Um, but but then I was more concerned with just hitting a punchline as opposed to the in-between stuff, you know? Right. But church was, they were very professional, man. And they uh, they had mercy on me because they could have said, this clown, <laughs> let's go home. This dude is not even, not even worthy of our time. But they stayed, knocked it out. And that ended up being a, a kind of a, a weird kind of a hit. I mean, people, when I performed, I didn't have money to bring a band, obviously. So it was my first album and people expected to hear the song. So I had to take the tracks, the multi-track stuff, and then squeeze it down and put it on something I could play. Whatever. This was before CDJs, before any of that stuff. So you end up playing it on like a cassette. And, you, got, you know, you got hiss and you got a bunch of, I knew more about noise reduction in 10 minutes than I know now. I mean, it's, I was trying to get all the hiss out of there and stuff, but to this day, people still love that song, you know? Dude, it's a hell of a song. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I ran that one and the full Mac Daddy CD, well, cassette tape. I ran, I know I ran through two copies of both of them in my yeah. high school days. So, I mean. <laughs> it was, it was, um, and it was funny because I ended up doing that more often, playing with bands and stuff like that is, I, to me, I don't think you're an artist unless you've done it. Mm. Hit stage and do some, when I say live, I don't mean just live vocals, obviously that's easy. But when you are making eye contact with the bass player and he's letting you know, you know, you're ready. Or I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take four more, take four more bars. So do whatever you do. You know, that kind of stuff randomly 
mm-hmm. polishes you as an artist. I didn't realize it until I went back to performing, just mix a lot of stuff. And it seemed like super easy. I felt like I could sit down and have a meal while I was doing it. Because <laughs> you learn so much when you when you play with the, like the when we toured with the presidents, we didn't tour on a on a record at all. We had nothing out. And we were filling up places and we didn't want to do baby got back. They didn't want to do lump. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, we ended up doing a baby got back, a version of baby got back. That was just insane. And Chris Ballou just tore it up, man. It was a lot of fun. We, I played, I probably done up to about 1998. I'd probably done more rap rock hybrid shows than regular hip hop shows. Oh, wow. Yeah, I did a lot of them back then. You, you live in Seattle. What else you gonna do? And so me, black sheep. Talking about living in Seattle, what are um, what were some of your favorite venues to play back then? The ones that were just you know the place to be. Oh God, man! Woo. Um, ooh, 
I love the Moore. I love the Moore Theater. And there's a, oh, why am I forgetting this club? Oh, God damn it. I love playing a tractor. Um, I, I love playing, um, what's the one in Tacoma? Oh, shit. I, I love the smaller the club, the better. I, yeah. I just love that that the energy, man, you get, yeah, you, you're, you're costing yourself money. Cause you're not, you can't get paid as much, but right. um, I, I love playing small venues, man. That obviously, and it's and not because of the room, but it's because of the show we did. We did a show at the Paramount that it was our, it was our first big subset show subset being Sir Mix-a-Lot and the presidents or whatever. And, uh, or pre- the presidents and Sir Mix-a-Lot. That's what I called it. <laughs> but we did that show and it was the most random, off the cuff, nothing planned. And it was a huge success. Chris Ballou, in the middle of the set, the power goes down. Something happened. Chris Ballou, literally, with his bass in his hand, lays on his back, unplugs the bass. They, they crowd surf him to the bar, right? He gets a drink. Comes back with the bass in his hand, crowd surfs back, and the power comes on right when he gets back. You would think we planned it. You know what I mean? And it was that kind of random stuff is what I like about especially small rooms. You know, mm-hmm. the tractor is another one that you know I could I could play there every day, you know, because it's so small, so close. And uh, some people hate that. You know, some of these guys like the big glitz and glamour and lights. Don't get me wrong, that's cool. But if you do music for the right reasons. You want to touch the people. You want to be oh. as close as you can to them. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. We um we ended up catching a show down here in Atlanta at the Masquerade one night, and it was a Sunday night. Um, Saving Able, I think it was that played, and they were headlining. There was probably maybe a hundred people, but yeah. it was so cool. They brought everybody as close to the stage as they could get. I mean, you're talking maybe three rows deep, and the crowd sang along to most of their songs. There was one that he just pretty much killed it, let it do the acoustic thing and just let the crowd sing. There you go. There you go. <laughs> That's how it is, man. And I, I, so when I took what I learned um, from the subset project, mm-hmm. injected it into our shows, you know, so when we started touring, cause obviously, you know, I, I said the reason that that project never came out too many millionaires in one room. I, that's that, that was really my, that's just a theory. I don't know that, but it's, it's like we didn't need it, mm-hmm. wanted it, but we didn't need it. So it was something, something, you know, it just, it didn't, we don't have a beef. We're all still cool. And, and we, we, we were going to do an NFT project, but then that's, you know, what happened with that stuff. <laughs> so, yeah. so we just said, nah, so we may, we may still release that album. I mean, it's, it's on the internet. People listen to it and, you know, share it and all that stuff. And it's, uh, it was fun though. I learned a lot about recording doing that project very cool very cool so what are you working on right now do you have any projects that you're focused on getting ready to release anything or you know i'm dabbling with artists i'm dabbling with artists that have these cool visions you know what i mean like one of the guys in my group out of sight is one of the most clever mcs and he's he's same thing he's a rock rap guy i mean he's cool he's he's way more and he's he's into classic He's into classic metal, everything. I mean, <laughs> he can recite every Clarence, you know, uh, uh, anything you come up with, anything you could think of from the '60s. He'll tell you what guitar Jimmy was playing on stage when he did Blank. I mean, he's 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 a um, the dude has a memory that's scary. Anyway, so we're gonna work on his record, 
And uh, he's rapped with me before, but this is his. I want I tell I wanted this to be you. You tell me what to do. I don't want to tell you what to do. Mm -hmm. We're working on that. Um, and like I said, we almost did the subset as an NFT. And so I think we're just going to just give it away. I think we're going to put it out and just give it away. You know, I think that's what that's what Jason, the drummer, said he wanted to do. And Chris wasn't wasn't opposed to it. Neither was neither was I really. But we thought we had a, a situation with the NFT in it. It uh, that blew out the window. Yeah. So just put it out there, give it life and let it go. huh? Yeah. Yeah. Let people if people love it, they love it. And, you know, if you want to monetize it, you can do shows. But, you, um, you know, you reach a point in your career. It's not about monetization of a song. It's about do people like it? then that's cool. That's really all you want. That's all you can ask for, really. Definitely. Definitely. So um, have you have you played in Atlanta recently? Have you been back here? Because I know you were scheduled to be at Mad Life in 2020, which is actually about the time I reached out the first time. So that's, yeah, that's, that's, that was the COVID, uh, mm -hmm. the COVID tour, man. We, we did that tour and we got to, uh, it was a big show in Lafayette, Louisiana, like 37,000 people had tickets and we're in Lafayette. We just got there and that's when they shut everything down. Oh, oh. Wow. <laughs> that's crazy. Uh, that was such a crazy weird time, wasn't it? Yeah. And I understood it though. I mean, you look at, look at it from his or their perspective, the people that were doing the show, imagine just, you know, let's throw a number out there. Let's say 2000 people got sick. It was mm -hmm. 37,000, 2000 people got sick. What if three died? Mm-hmm could be a liability issue. Right. So oh, yeah. I get why they, I get why they did it, but it's just, it, we, dr I drive, I don't fly. So I drove from here to Louisiana. Oh, wow. Lafayette, but we did get to go eat before they shut down all the restaurants. There you go. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah. the best part about it. <laughs> get me in the South, man. I got to get grub. Yeah. Yes. Especially Louisiana area. Oh. Yep. Yes, sir. Definitely. Definitely. Um, do you have any advice for any bands, you know, trying to make it in the music industry nowadays? Um, the first thing I would say, man, and I know it sounds cliche and corny, but do music because you love it first. If you don't do that, I'll tell you what you end up doing. You'll end up doing what I did. Okay, after Mac Daddy had a lot of success. When I went into Chief Bootknocker, I was thinking I got to recreate that. It tanked. It well, it didn't flop, but I mean, by if you go by coming off of a double platinum, single platinum album to gold or less is not that's not success. Right. And I think it's because I was trying to rehash what I did on uh, Mac Daddy, which is it was it was, you know, career suicide almost. But Rick Rubin stuck with me and we uh, we we did get a hit song off of that, which is I got a funny story to justify the lack of sales. Um Rick Rubin wanted me to put put him on the glass out as a single. Like, let's work it. Let's make it official. No, no, no. What did my dumb ass want to do? I said, let's put it out with nothing. No album out. Let's not have the single out. I'm going to put it out. And people are going to be offended. And, well, about that time, there was another video outlet called, um, oh, they're based in Miami. Oh, God damn it. I don't know why I'm forgetting those guys, man. But uh, yeah, it was, it would, MTV obviously didn't want to play it. You know, there mm. were half naked girl, topless girls in it and all that stuff. I was really trying to, trying to get a little edgy. And um, 
God damn, I don't know why I'm forgetting the name of that place, man. They were, they were, they blew it. That song blew up, went number one and stayed there. And we had no record out. Wow. And I, Rick didn't have to say, told you so. I just like, oh my God. <laughs> but it's still one of my most popular songs to do live. So, you know. Nice. Yeah. Dude, that's awesome, man. Um, You know, your, your last like official big release the daddy's home album what was it what was it like putting that one together you know because that was you know 2000 what 2003 2005 yeah it was right in that era right in that area um that was a record it was not it was released kind of weird what i did is because i didn't give a shit about trying to you know let's make the most money we can i got past that i wanted to do something artistically that i was feeling at the time mm-hmm. whether it'd be fun whether it'd be serious and um Rick didn't have anything to do with that record. I worked with Mark Geiger and I forget the other gentleman. Um, we did a little weird partnership where they would have the masters for one year and then they would automatically revert back to me. Right. Uh-huh. So I said, let's do this. Let's see what it feels like. Obviously it was a new model. And what are they, what is that saying? Pioneers suffer when settlers prosper. <laughs> you know, so I was the pioneer. So we didn't, we didn't move a lot of units, but lyrically that was the deepest record I ever did. I, the stuff I said on that album, there were some songs, there were some goofy ones and fun ones. But if you listen to Y'all Don't Know, I was telling the truth about my career. Every lyric in that song is absolutely true. The the bankruptcies, the coming back from bankruptcies, the every single thing. And I and uh most people who are lyricists always bring up those two songs is Daddy's Home, but Daddy's Home itself. And they, they bring up uh, that song. And there's one other song I did that people really liked off that. It was just like it. But anyway, I'll, 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 it'll come up to me in a second. But um, that was, to me, lyrically, my best record ever and the best produced record I ever did because I, I had my own studio by then, you know. Well, I had my studio before, but it wasn't still. It was just a shit home project studio. Now I'm sitting in the middle of a, a S6. I got a bunch of analog gear over here. I got a whole bunch of stuff in here now. Yeah, I love it. I love the background. I love all your records there on the wall. I mean, that's looks like a killer place. I've watched a few of your YouTube videos, and dude, I, I enjoy it. I'm enjoying them so much. You know, listening to you talk about the music, listening to you, you know, give your advice. I mean, it's yeah, and I don't. I, I try not to push them because when you right. push the videos, they become clickbait, and that's it, right? Right. I said, you know, those who want to see it will. And um, it's kind of ironic that I did a a podcast about four days ago, and I, I don't think it'll ever come to light because there were some things that they said that I knew. I'm like, this is not going to fly. It wasn't me. It was them. Mm. And they asked me kind of what you're asking me now about, you know, the Daddy's Home album. Mm. And I was talking about the lyrics, and they wanted me to recite something. And I wanted to see if they knew what I was talking about. Some of the stuff they would know, some of the stuff they wouldn't. Mm. I said, uh, I think the lyrics are, by 1990, by 1990, I'm twice platinum. If homies are starving, I'm a fatten them. Because now we rat packing them, baby back slapping them. Build our own studio so we can Mac back at them. Don't believe the one hit wonder shit. Because before baby got back, mix was rich. A little Broadway dough, a little hoopty dough, a little beepers dough. All before the 9-0. The lawsuit hit 9-1. All of a sudden, the rap game's no fun. A big ton of bricks hit my bank account quick. Trying to break a brother down. Seven figures, not six. But unlike most, this rapper don't blow smoke. And I do not like broke. I must increase my gross. We drop a big 
big boom in 92 and put them on a glass in 94. I'm fast but flying low, a dynamo with mega dough. I got my daddy riding a big body. Mom's in a small bro. Siding in my interviews, I even had a female crew. So what's next? Internal revenue. That basically was from Posse on Broadway to right before daddy's home when the IRS came and started hitting me up. <laughs> so it's like a true, so I'm doing, I'm going to do a, a series of videos coming up here pretty soon where I'm going to put up songs and lyrics and I'll probably either rap them live or just watch people read the lyrics. And then I'm going to have a meter on the side that shows when I'm bullshitting and when I'm telling the truth. <laughs> Dude, that'll be awesome. Oh, I can't wait to see that. Yeah, man. That'll be fun. Concrete castles. So addicted. next are you still touring are you doing anything you know any live shows right now yeah i got i got some i got some stuff coming up in seattle i got a couple of uh uh one for the united way they're doing some nice things uh, for some young entrepreneurs young uh uh people of color doing some stuff cooking and doing all that so i'm gonna go down and support that i'm nice. doing the seattle here in, in seattle i think i got some stuff in california um two or three dates I, I'm, I'm not doing what i did last year last year i went nuts touring i mean i was gone I, when I got home, my grass was up to my hip. I mean, it was just, I got man. So I um, 
Yeah, I'm gonna do I'm gonna do a few shows. I probably I probably hit Michigan, the Michigan area, because I got some stuff I want to do up there. So I figured if I'm gonna go out there anyway, I might as well knock a show out. Right? And I'm gonna do some stuff in in Northern Cal and and a couple other Seattle dates to support some local promoters. That yeah, we had a, we had a, a group called um, Keep Keep Music Alive in Washington when COVID hit, uh-huh. and we were really working hard to save a lot of the small venues, you know. And it was it was really dear to me because those small venues, that's where you get your skills from. Oh, big, yeah. big stages are. They can't even see your lips, you know. You know how these guys. I ain't gonna say no name. Some of these guys lip sync, man. I, I'm talking about established artists. I'm like, nah, man, nope, nah. I, I didn't no lip syncing for me, man. If I mess up, I just mess up. The crowd will get me back on point. But anyway, long story. Um, I want to do some stuff like that where it's more just organic releases for free, just yeah. <laughs> just fun stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah, I did catch your uh, save the venues. The um, I saw a lot of the clips. That was just amazing. I think it's awesome what you're doing. You know, trying to keep these venues afloat and help them out. Plus, you know, spotlight some of the artists as well. Oh, definitely. I, there's a, um, a, a one of the guys that used to manage him, Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones. I kind of produced his first record, but it uh, didn't work out. But that's. It, it, but he got better. And he got signed by a bigger label, which is all I wanted. I wasn't trying to, I didn't want to be a record label. And uh, his manager has a young lady. I don't know if he wants her name out there yet. But I'm going to tell you, man, I have never in my life heard anybody come closer to Aretha Franklin than her. Wow. I'm not exaggerating. She's extremely modest. And I hope she stays that way. Because when she sings, when she walks out, she almost looks like, should I really be here? You know, that kind of thing. So it's like, it's, she's humble, man. And, and I, I I know he probably doesn't want me putting her name out there yet, but my God, she can sing, play guitar. And uh, it's kind of like a cross between rock and blues. Mm. Really, uh, really nice and, and really well done, well written too. It's cool. Very cool. Well, when uh, whenever they get ready to drop that, let us know because I mean, always looking for new artists to promote on the pit too. So, yeah, he'll. Uh, I'm gonna text him right. I'm texting him right now. Just tell him <laughs> hit me up with her. Hit me up and let me know if I can if I can say her name. You know, <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean. Definitely. <laughs> like, no, you weren't supposed to say that. You know, I don't know why I wouldn't, but you know, hey, you never know. Yeah, some of those are you know they're kind of odd. Just one of those you know, hold it, hush it back, wait, wait. Yeah, exactly. Oh well, I ain't gonna worry about it. I'll get it to you. Okay, cool, cool. Um, Interview me. <laughs> you're good, man. Um, again, I appreciate you sitting in on this because this really, you know, it means a lot to me. You know, actually talking to one of my heroes, which is cool. I can tell you this too, man. When on the rock side, mm-hmm. me and out of sight both huge rock fans. I'm nice. t- every you ask those guys every single time corn comes to town i'm backstage i love them i'm a big corn fan i see i really liked that stuff that was going on in the late 90s mid to late Mm -hmm. that new metal the seven string thunderous those mutes were like oh god damn man i was like how come we can't put that in (laughs) hip-hop did you what's that I recorded a lot of the rock hop, I call it. Oh, yeah, that's it was, cool. And, but I, it had to be in that vein. I didn't really want 
you know, I don't know, that yuck yuck bullshit. I, I like hard rock, you know. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, are there any bands that you'd love to collaborate? Oh, uh, you know what? I tell you what, I know Corn has done it before. Corn has collaborated with some MCs before. Mm-hmm. They did Coming Undone and they had a, another feature, right? They did a remix of it. Let them call me. They'll be shocked. If they think they're going to get, I like Big Butt. No, 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 no. I will spit fire over that shit. I promise you. Dude, that'd be awesome. I'd love to hear collaboration. I'm between... good friends with Ice-T, man. And, you know, when Ice-T yeah. did this thing, I'm like, hey, okay, he opened the door for everybody. But not a lot of people jumped in, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, along the same lines as you, I was a huge Beastie Boys fan, too. And they really knocked down some doors just... Yep. Dude, the Beastie Boys were like until recently, probably the the high the highest selling album ever. Uh, that that was that dominated for a long. I think Hammer was the one that bumped it. I think no, no, Hammer didn't bump them on the album side. He bumped them on the single side. On the single side, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know who has the record now. It might still be them. I doubt it. I'm not sure, but I know License to Ill, License to Ill, and Mac Daddy. They were like side by side in my car, so. Yeah, I tell you what, the Beastie Boys, there was something so unique about them because even though they were doing hip hop, mm-hmm. sometimes like you'll see a white dude do hip hop, but he 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 abandons who he is to try to assimilate. And dude, you can smell that from a mile away. The Beastie Boys were not that. The Beastie Boys were who they were, throwing shit on the stage, man, clowning around. They were like a metal band rapping. Yeah. That's, I, I love them, man. And it's like there are so many songs that the Beastie Boys had on that album that people, it just, it was like a fungus. And I mean that in a good way. It spread throughout hip hop. You could hear the influence everywhere, all over the place, all over the place. Yep. Absolutely. Do you think looking back on it, you would have loved to collaborate with those guys or run DMC? Ooh. Would that be I, a- I could collaborate now. Back <laughs> then? I wasn't even, I wasn't even taking, I was taking hip hop serious, mm-hmm. but I wasn't working on skills. Mm-hmm. Really, I was, I wanted to be a DJ because back in that era, the DJ was the star. Yep. You know, you had Grandmaster Flash, Jam Master J, DJ Cheese, all these cats, they were the, they were the stars. So I wanted to be the DJ. And then I was working with a group and they, you know, somehow we broke up. That happens. Yeah. Uh, and then I just said, well, I'll just get the mic and start doing it myself. So I started making um, cassette tapes for people and selling them. So I would do remixes of songs where I would actually take my drum machine and read. Now, keep in mind, I'm living in the projects, broke as hell. And people are like, how did you get that gear? Well, I've always been into electronics. Mm-hmm. So I could find, I had a DMX drum machine a guy had, and it was no good, he said. He said, give me 500 bucks, I'll give it to you. DMX back then was 3,000 bucks or something like that. I flipped it over, couldn't find a problem initially. Then I took the face off and it was literally just capacitive contacts on the bottom of the bottom of the pads. That was it. That was it. That was it. And you know, you can see where they were stuck in so it wouldn't work. And I just found those contacts, (laughs) like 18 cents a piece. (laughs) And I put new ones in there and I did, I I got a chip burner. Hmm. I bought that straight up. I bought a chip burner and I started burning chips putting sounds in the DMX. So people are like, how you could just, how you get your DMX to do an 808 clap? You know, because I was putting stuff in, it was a chip burner. You'd sample into the chip burner and then these little 8-bit samples you could put on your, put in your uh, DMX and 
You know, everybody selling chips to people that had DMXs. <laughs> Dude, that's killer. Yeah. That is, that is killer. Now, that's where you got your Sir Makes a Lot name from, right? Was, you know, the mixing and the DJ clubs and, you know. Yeah, yeah I used to DJ my ass off and I just, and then all of a sudden the rappers became the stars. I'm like, oh shit, now I got to, now I got to move out. So, but the one thing I did keep doing, I stopped spinning on the ones and twos. When them guys brought, when I saw crab scratching for the first time, I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. I can't do that. I mean, I've, I've never seen anything like that in my life when a guy, the, the the wax is going forward, he's pulling it back. I'm like, oh, shit. I was like, nah, man. Nah, nah, nah. I just, I left that to like my boy Rooney G. When I saw him do that, I retired from DJing. I said, I'm, I'm good. But um, no, but I, what I did keep is production skills. Mm-hmm. That's really, that's where my passion is now. Sir Mix-a-Lot was really more, I wouldn't call myself mix a lot when I was just a DJ. I didn't start calling myself mix a lot until I started making songs. Gotcha. So I made square dance rap as a joke around town. It was a local song and I didn't want to be heard. I didn't want my voice heard. Mm-hmm. So I just modified my voice and I turned, I took a four track cause I couldn't afford a harmonizer. I took a four track cassette, turned the pitch all the way up for everything normal. Mm-hmm. Then when I did my vocals, I turned the pitch down and rap, now I'm your big mall dropper. Then you turn it up, and it's a Smurf. And it's like, who's the guy that did the rap? I said, oh, it's a friend of mine, man. He knows how to do this shit with his voice. <laughs> oh, I didn't know man. that shit was going to end up selling. That shit sold like 100,000 units. I was mm-hmm. like, damn. Yeah, that's, I mean, it moved. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's awesome, man. Dude, I ain't going to keep you any longer. I appreciate this so much. Um, love talking this game, man. I, I love it. I'm not sick of it. As a matter of fact, I'm spending more money on my studio now than I ever did. Dude, you know? that's awesome. Well, I'll tell you what, you ever get down here to Atlanta again? Um, dude, I, I gotta have you in studio. And I was down there, I was there. We stayed in Georgia for like a week, like two years, three, three, four years ago. And man, I had a ball, man. That's all I did was eat, but I've been losing weight, so I'm trying to keep it off. <laughs> well, I was gonna say we got a great barbecue spot next door. He's from South Louisiana, so oh, can he do brisket? Yes, that's that's pretty much all he does. So I think was, that's weird because most guys from Louisiana don't do brisket. They do. They really? do like. But I know he makes a mean crawfish. I already know that if he's from Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Pipe out a pot of crawfish in no time. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you come down here, me and you, we go into dinner. We're going to talk music. We're just going to hang out. Oh, man. That's a hey, you can see. I love talking this game, man. I really do. When you I, I, I know some of my friends who are big artists. Mm-hmm. they're bored with it really? and I'm like how do you get bored with it and maybe I don't know if it's the money mm-hmm. or lack thereof but I went through a bankruptcy and I was working on songs the whole time whole time oh, wow. so yeah I went through I went through a bankruptcy and a half that's what I call it really? you know? and then I started then I started knowing learning how to manage my money and you know now now I'm making way more now than I made at my peak which is odd but that's awesome though. That's awesome. Like I, I get the brands. That's the key, man. Is how do you work with the brand but not sell out? Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't want to be doing a running man on the treadmill and all that stuff. But I done they're pretty big deals, you know, stuff with Amazon, stuff with General Mills, stuff with you know, little, you know, discover mm-hmm. cards and stuff like that. <laughs> um, that's hey, you, you know, when you learn how to manage those funds, you're not you're not having to sell out to do things, you know. Right. 
And I get, I get the burnout because I've been there with this podcast because I've been doing it since, I mean, really pushing since like 2015. We're actually, this was actually going to be episode 200 of my show. So, wow. Yeah. I, what I, I want to do a podcast. Then I saw, yeah, if you think you're just going to take your mic, bring it in and start talking, no, you got to do research. You got to have your questions. Say, ah, oh, I might, I might do one. What? <laughs> well, anytime you want to be my co-host, I would love to have you. Yeah, you get the right people on there. You you get corn on there. I'll come on there and talk some shit. Well, you got to make that call, man. I, I don't know corn. I know you now. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's see if I can find them guys, man. They're, they're cool people, man. Down to earth. I remember walking into their dressing room, and uh, they said, "Come on up, man. We can't. We went on up, man." And they're sitting there. I'm thinking they're going to be listening to some metal, right? motherfuckers are playing too short. <laughs> I'm sitting there singing, bitch, what the fuck are you smoking? <laughs> Ghost in stereo, heavy again.
like, I love it, man. These are my guys. Yeah, Corn is, they're some cool cats, man. Really, really good people, man. Yeah. Very cool. Now, would you ever collaborate with like a smaller band, like a, you know, up and coming band just to, you know, kind of a co thing? Yeah, if I was feeling them, I, I, I would love to. The thing about me when I, when I do things with people, mm-hmm. I don't want them trying to fit to, you know, assimilate to me. It's mm-hmm. your project. I want to hear you. And if I feel it, let me come to you. And that's, that's kind of the way it should be. You know, if you're going to have a feature, that feature shouldn't be in their own little, you know, put me in my little baby got back box or my posse on Broadway, but no, no, I, sh- you force me to write. That's what I'm saying. Force me to write something that you like and you should tell me, Hey man, yeah, we didn't want that baby got back shit. Cause if you say that, you're going to make me happy because I know that you really want to make a project. You don't want to use baby got back as a crutch. Right. You know? That's, that's kind of, and it's not, I'm not one of these artists that, shames my biggest hit that's not what i'm saying what i'm saying is that i you know have your baby got back mm-hmm. i did baby got back there was nothing like it out there right nobody was saying what i said in that song and that's the reason i didn't cuss in that song is that i i intentionally i was aiming at mainstream america mm-hmm. powers that be in mainstream america let me let me say that yep. and, and it, it came from and i've told the story before but it came from me while I was watching a Cosby show one day, right? Mm-hmm. And I was thinking to myself, when have we ever seen an African-American woman on television in a positive role mm-hmm. other than other than the Cosby show? Right. And I looked back and I couldn't find one. Not mm-hmm. one. And I realized that you had, you had Nell Carter, right? Mm-hmm. Played a maid. You had Esther Roll played a maid. You had a bunch of beautiful African American women on detective shows. What were what did they play? Prostitutes mm-hmm. or undercover prostitutes that could give the cop the information. And I was like, that's why I wrote Baby Got Back. I, I it sounds like I'm just talking about the butt, mm-hmm. you know. But I use that metaphorically because brothers do like asses. That's just a fact. I mean, let's not let's not bullshit it, but. But at the same time, you could hear hints in that song. You know, give me a sister. I can't resist the red beans and rice. Didn't miss her. Look at the video. In the video, I intentionally never touched her. Mm-hmm. I couldn't reach her. She was on a pedestal. The two girls dissing her at the front were looking up. I, and so she was on a pedestal the whole video. And I was being the sexist asshole that wanted to have sex with her but I couldn't, I couldn't reach it. And that was the whole point. If I objectified her, then the video wouldn't have worked. Mm -hmm. MTV, strangely, they say they didn't ban it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We're we're only going to play you after nine. They banned my song while it was number one in the world. Well, on the billboard charts. Right. You don't ban a number one song unless you really got a problem with the subject matter. You know what I mean? And so it was a, it was, it it cracked me up when it happened. I'm not mad at MTV. I mean, you know, business is business. Right. But I thought my career was over and um, I'm sitting at, we're having a meeting in LA and I'm sad, even though the song's number one, but I'm sad. They got back, got banned from MTV. And I remember Rick's, uh, Rick's publicist, Heidi, 
She's a sweetheart, man. She's still with him now. And I'm telling you, man, she calls me and she says, she said, Mix, how you feeling? I said, I'm doing good. She said, you happy? I'm like, no, I just got banned. She said, this is great. What are you talking about? Everybody's talking about you being banned, you know? And, and I thought about it and I said, wait a minute. You know what? Elvis Presley shook his leg on the Ed Sullivan show. Mm-hmm. And came back and performed standing straight up. He wiggled a little bit and stopped. He went, oh, and that made him huge. Yep. He blew up because he became the forbidden fruit. And I said, okay. And I thought she was wrong. Until then Arsenio calls me and then people interview me. Like news magazines were asking me, what was the song really about? Oh, wow. And that's what I wanted to happen. But I didn't know it would happen that good. I wish I could lie and say, yeah, this is what I said. The top of the I didn't expect it to go number one you know, on, any, on any chart. And um, then it became so big that the message got lost. Mm. That's probably, if I had any regrets, that would be that would be the one. Is that all of But my mom told me this, God rest her soul. Um, my mom said, baby, if after 10 years, they're still talking about the message, the song didn't work. It, you didn't normalize African-American culture. It's normalized now. So now it's just a butt song. And I said, that's actually true. You know, she was, she was telling the truth. So I adopted her words. I say that all the time. It's, it's, I don't have to, I don't have to, the message is not as important as it once was. Once was. You know? Makes sense. And we could do a whole episode on the mistakes that MTV has made. We'll just move yeah. out to the side. <laughs> you know, MTV, don't get me wrong. I, I, I diss them because if it wasn't for them playing it, Let's be honest. The song wouldn't have gone number one. It might have oh. charted. It wouldn't have gone number one. So, and and I and I watch Rick Rubin and Benny Medina and all those guys cultivate those relationships at MTV, mm. and MTV playing it blew it up. But MTV banning it also blew it up. Yes, it did. Now, you know, I wanted to ask you about this. I don't know. I don't. I know you've talked on it before, but the the Nicki Minaj Anaconda video where she sampled yours. You know, what was that like? Was it was it flattering to you? Was it like, okay, cool, my music, you know, still moving the next generation? Well, you know, it's, it's what's interesting is that I uh, I knew about it before it happened, right? Mm-hmm. So, so it was it wasn't some jumped up and stealing something. No, no, it wasn't yeah. like um, Ice T called me. Mm-hmm. He said, "Hey, man, uh, I think Nikki want to holler at you, man. She's she's doing something with Baby Got Back. I don't know what it is. Blah blah blah." And I, I caught her on the phone and um, I'm not shocked that this happened. So I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. That woman is so, she does not get credit for how professional she is, how she grinds in that studio. Matter of fact, I saw some people when she put out her, um, the SFR, that, oh, I love that song. When she redid the Rick James track. Um and somebody kind of said, oh, you know, somebody produced this for you. You didn't do no work. I, and I just licked her. I'm sorry. I, I, I said, nah. I, I jumped in for her. I said, nah. This girl puts it in in the studio. And I was very impressed. But anyway, back to your question. Um, she told me what she wanted, how she wanted it, parts of the song she wanted to use. Um, I was just like, take whatever you want. You know what I mean? Because I wasn't trying to, um, you know, I've, I've had two 
big licensing deals, three, no, three actually, where people called me and I, and I supported it. I mean, Nicki Minaj, I would push the song, whatever, you know, and I, I love her as an artist. I love the fact that what, what I wish she would do is some of that brilliance that I heard on that phone. If she starts doing interviews like that, Nicki Minaj would be an actress in 10 minutes. Oh, wow. Trust me. She's, she's, um, super underestimated and, and she's the queen of the game and still underestimated in my opinion. Um, and then the other big one I, I did was uh, a lot of people don't know was the pussycat dolls. Don't you? Mm -hmm. um, that was, that's my second highest grossing song wow. of all time thus far. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, that was, that was, um, and that licensing deal. Once again, I, I think some people, and I'm talking to artists now, um, you guys, if you create something and it blows up, um, I know some people don't want to like, like Prince never, although he did with me because I own my own publishing. That was Prince's thing. If you own your own publishing and he told me that and he stood to it. Um, but anyway, I always tell people with licensing, if you, I understand you not wanting to license the song, if the song is charted, if it's on the charts, no, no, no. You don't want to compete with yourself. But at the same time, if you got a song that's ten years old and they're not and they're not degrading the song, what's the point in owning your publishing? True. Other than to stop other people from using it, if that's all you want to do, okay. But the fact that you own it, use it, monetize it. I mean, you get paid for it, and that's you know, and and that that whole don't you thing. Um, CeeLo Green called me. And, and I knew he wasn't lying because I've done it before. You know, you're producing something and you could be sitting in a restaurant mm. and hear Swass. There's nothing good about Swass other than this part. Don't you wish your boyfriend was Swass like me? Mm. And that sticks in your head. And, and I did not. I want CeeLo to make his money. That's the first thing I did. I said, no, man, you get you get your cut. That's it. Don't worry about it. Because I knew. If you if you. If you slow down the negotiating process, you slow down the momentum of the song. And the girls didn't even know what was going on. They they were touring. I didn't want to interrupt them at all. There's an art to licensing that a lot of artists really need to um, rethink. I mean, some people don't don't license their stuff at all. They 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 don't believe in it, and that's cool. That's cool. But um, I do I do now some some stuff I turned down. I mean, yeah, and I I did a. I did a cool one uh, with a, a gentleman you might know <laughs> in in Atlanta. He redid Posse on Broadway. <laughs> it's your boy down there. He runs Atlanta, I think. Good. Yeah. Uh, he, and so, so yeah, Mike Mike Will called me and and told me that uh, yeah, my guy wants to use your stuff. I'm like, nah. So yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. So it happened. Now, how do you feel about that compared to like sampling? You know, talking again about the Beastie Boys, you know, they sampled ACDC's Back in Black, and ACDC has a strict no sampling policy. They put an end to it. You can find it online, but you can't make, they couldn't make any money on it either side. But that right. is a hell of a song, honestly. Yeah. And the thing about sampling, dude, it's like nowadays, call. That's all you got to do, man. Because what some people don't, I had a guy tell me, man, I don't care about licensing the song. 
because all they're going to sue, all they can sue you for is half. I'm like, no, 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 no. The, the label probably owns the master mm -hmm. and the artists and the label probably own the publishing, which means that's all of the song. <laughs> you can't, they can literally pull that if they want to. I mean, you, you know, you don't have a copyright. And so it's easiest to, I, you know, I licensed Way Back Home for a new artist. Way Back Home was a song by the Crusaders that was actually written by another guy. Now that licensing was hard because I went to the Crusaders thinking it was their song mm -hmm. and it wasn't their song. And I'm like, oh shit. So I had to go to another, uh, I forget the guy's name, but I had to go, I forget the lawyer's name. But anyway, he was managing the artist that wrote the original Way Back Home. So I had to license from him and the Crusaders version because I used the jazzy version that they did. And I'm like, oh my God, man. So if, if that song had blown up, I would have gotten zero publishing. <laughs> I was like, can I write your lyrics or something? Because I need some publishing. But it, it didn't it didn't hit anyway. So say yes, do nothing by the river.
man. Um, dude, I appreciate this again. Uh, let our listeners know where they can find you on all the platforms. Oh, you can find me at The Real Mix on Twitter. You can find me at The Real Sir Mix a lot. People steal my name a lot, which is kind of odd because I ain't popular. But The Real Sir Mix a lot on Instagram. And you type in Sir Mix a lot on Facebook. You'll I guarantee you'll find me, but that's only for the old folks, you know. Yeah, oh, yeah. As I say, Facebook's for the old folks. Yes, it is. They say. You know, social media is one of the best and worst things to come with technology right now. Just you talk about watered down. It what everybody's a star, right? Yep. I mean, so I I, uh, I I listen to people like new new artists. I just go around people's pages and check out new stuff, mm-hmm. and you could tell they haven't been around anybody that could cultivate the talent. They're not terrible, but they might have a great voice, but they might not. Some people don't write for their breathing. And that, I know that sounds goofy, but when you hear a guy cramp, I did that in, in a song called Poppy Grande, man. I was like, groupies, here's my orders. Ignore the soda. Want to be baller. Tennessee Ola. Calling you recorder. Begging you to make him a soda. I, st- I scored a recorder. She thought her brother like mixed with a border. She poured her daughter. I order. You know, all that shit. And I'm like, I didn't write the song anywhere. So I had to rewrite the whole song <laughs> so I could fucking breathe. That's what I mean, man. It's like if you don't plan to play that song live, don't record it. Mm. Record it, man. Testarossa was another one that was hard for me to do live, but I wrote that one with that in mind. So, because uh, you gotta, you gotta give yourself a. Matter of fact, when I was talking, when I was doing Testarossa, I said one of the lines. I go, <gasps> I actually inhale and I go, look at that air intake. Talking yeah. about the air intake on the Ferrari, you know, the double entendre shit. And I, I was doing stuff like that in the lyrics, so they didn't sound like, damn, why do you take that breath? Mm-hmm. Take. Yep. That makes sense. Well, I know um, on the boss's back, you know, the speed that you hit on that one, just, yeah. I mean, it's it's so good. It's so crisp. Just do, do, do. Yeah, boss's back was, um, I, I really, that was a fun song too, man. Mm-hmm. The boss's back. You know, I was, but I was kind of angry on a lot of that shit. And I, I like it, but I realized that mix a lot fans were like, dude, what are you pissed off about? You're rich. You know? <laughs> that's, that's actually true. And that's why I, I still tour. I don't really like the travel part. Mm-hmm. But when you get in front of a fan and they tell you, like they say they like a song, and I love when they describe why. Because that is where you got to make a mental note and go, okay, I didn't even think of that. Why didn't I? And then you write that. And I have it all in my phone. Every time somebody tells me a different reason, I write it down. And just in case I'm writing something and I want to put inject something in it. And a lot of times artists are their own worst critic. They pick the wrong songs for singles. Yes, we do. We picked the wrong songs. I did not pick Posse on Broadway as the big single off of off of uh, Swass. I did not pick My Hoopty as the best single off of Seminar. I did not pick Baby Got Back as the best song on Mac Daddy. I, I didn't. I didn't, man. You have to, you know, hand it to other people. Don't tell them what you like and let them tell you. And that's, that that is, I would say that to any artist. Sometimes you, you're, you're the worst person in the world like singers, what do they listen for? The singing, guitar players, what do they listen at? The guitar. Oh, no, you know what? I missed something right here. You hear that string? We got to do that over again. Like, no, no, don't do that. Leave it like it is. Shit. Yep. 
Oh, wait, have you ever have you ever interviewed um what's the dude's name from uh oh shit the dude from uh Primus the bass player have you ever interviewed him man I have not I'd love to though that dude man I every time I watch that and he he did it live back in 2011 he did my name is mud live in front of about 30,000 people mm-hmm. and and they got close ups of him playing the bass that's why I watch it God damn, man. That's what that kind of shit I love. That dude is unfuckwithable. I, I, that's a friend of mine. So yeah, him and uh, I take him, I take him, Larry Graham, Bootsy Collins, and then I forget the guy that produced the song. Uh, oh, God. Uh, Joyous, I think the song called, a group called Pleasure. He was the one that did that. They did it. He would do these little. Fifth plucks, boom, 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 boom. Then he, like, God damn. I wish I knew how to play an instrument. I can play the hell out of a drum machine, though. I, dude, I'm the same way. I got like five guitars just here in my studio. I don't play. Yeah. Just never yeah. picked it up. <laughs> I always loved the, the rhythmic aspect of guitars. Like the, I've never really... Like I didn't really like rock in the eighties, dare I say, because it was just it seemed like screaming solo cons too many but there was nothing rhythmic. Mm-hmm. You know? And so that's why I I uh, think hip hop exploded because hip hop came along right at the end of new wave and the beginning of that type of I call it glam rock. It was yep. right where that intersection was, and there was nothing. Well, there was stuff. There was stuff coming out of black culture, but it was all R and B. So it was like, hey, this is this is our rock and roll. Uh, once it made that transition, that move into, yeah, I mean, rap exploded mid eighties, yeah. late nineties, mid nineties. Would I say thank God to to the our forefathers that started this man, cool cool Herc? Never met the man. If I did, I'd get on one knee. I mean, that dude is just. You know, and 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 people that don't even like me, it'd be I don't care really. The people at hip hop's inception would not like an artist like me, mm-hmm. which is fine, because if they didn't do what they did, there would be no artist like me. Right, there would be a me. You know, so I don't really. I I, I did I played the Juggalos, um, uh, not this year but last year. Mm-hmm. Damn man, Whew. that's the closest any hip hop artist that hasn't played that. Play it. It's the closest thing to Woodstock you'll ever see. Insane clown posse, don't get it twisted. They're rich as fuck. I had to say that. Um, but yeah, so I uh I played that and I and it and we did well. They this girl threw a fish at me. I thought that was hilarious. And I didn't realize that's term of endearment. They throw shit at you. <laughs> anyway, at the, I, so KRS one played the next day. And I said, I want to see what KRS is gonna do with that kind of crowd. He fucking killed it. I'm talking about he came out. No music. He wasn't doing music. Nothing. He walked out. He said, you, 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 you. He's pointing at these people. And then he starts rapping about them. You in the green hat. That ain't where it's at. You blah, blah, blah with a baseball bat. I'm like, what the fuck? And they were going nuts. No music. Nothing. And I looked. I said, that's why he's one of the kings of hip hop. He, he don't like my shit. And he ain't supposed to. Let's be. Let's keep it real. Kara's one ain't supposed to like mix a lot. No, that no. 
that he, yeah, rightful heir. He 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 is. I could not, and he engaged them, man. I mean, with no music, just a microphone. Wow, wow. <laughs> that and that's pure hip hop. Pure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Man, um, dude, I appreciate you sitting in on this. Um, I know you got, I know you're busy. I know you got stuff to do. Um, I'd love that too. (laughs) I got a, um, dude, I'd love to catch up with you again, you know, maybe six months, year. What you got? Anytime, man. Anytime, man. I'm, uh, I love talking this game and I love giving back because it's, that's, I think about, and it's kind of weird because 90% of the people that interview me think, so what's it like? I mean, the money slowed down. I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> I mean, the money hasn't slowed down, but okay. I make way more now than I did then, but the licensing opportunities didn't exist then. Right. Licensing has become an art for me and my manager. I mean, we really, we work hard on giving the client what they want. And uh, that's the key. I mean, they're, they're not, they don't give a shit if your next song hits, you know, but you need to give them what they want. You know, then yeah. the project we did with General Mills, um, which is still going on. Mm-hmm. I thought, man, I feel like we let them down, you know, because I'm not hearing noise on the street. That's what I'm used to, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not hearing noise on the street. And they get on the phone with me a couple of weeks ago and said, man, we're really happy with how it's going. I'm like, is that a joke? Or, but I realize they serve a different master. It's not fans, orders. <laughs> and That's the orders for, for the uh, checks mix is like whoosh. And they're like, this is what we wanted. And I'm like, okay, so they made their money back. And that's what I want, really. These guys that take the money and go, I don't care. You probably won't get a lot of licensing deals in your time. I mean, I've I've done some licensing deals for brands and I could feel it not, not working. Mm-hmm. And I literally go out and do things without the brand paying me for it oh, wow. to make sure that they at least recouped, you yeah. know? I mean, that's fair. That's definitely fair because, you know, your name's attached to it. You want it to roll. So, yep. And, and, and like I said, in my master's, that's another thing. I got pretty much getting ready to get my master's back and I'm trying to figure out how I want to do that. Um, because I see people taking big giant checks and $100 million and all that stuff for Bieber and all that. But my thing is, if I were Bieber's age, mm-hmm. I would probably, because I love working with Rick Rubin, I love working with Universal. I would pull the masters back and then relicense them back to them. That's that would be an ideal situation for a young Sir Mix a Lot. But I turned 60 on on uh in, on August the 12th. So it's like, yeah, I gotta think about some other stuff too, like what I'm gonna leave behind, you know, that kind of stuff. So no. yeah, so I gotta I gotta figure out what I'm gonna do, but because I really like the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's some people that invest in masters that shouldn't even be in the music business. <laughs> And you got to be careful what you wish for. You take that check, you got to hold your nose for the rest of your life, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, would you ever go the Taylor Swift route and re-record your masters? I I, I have a, I have re-record rights on my, okay. in my company. Oh. Pretty awesome. There you he, go. So I can, we have a version of Baby Got Back and we did it just for ads because the obviously you can't take the master with the lyrics and about a butt and i did the song myself i produced it all myself so i just bring it back up and and boom we we send it out and put whatever words they want on it we can rearrange it take parts out you know and uh when you can do that you'll you'll land a lot more licensing deals 
professionalism is something that uh, I take very seriously. I clown around a lot, but not with brands. They they don't really have time for that. So if you want now, if you don't want that money, then leave it alone. True. You know? But I want I want I want to get that Snoop Dogg money. <laughs> Absolutely, don't we all? Man, I, I love where Snoop's at right now in his career. Vona vibe, run and hide. Mm-hmm.